Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. Here we go. This is Sean Martin, and uh, you're very welcome to a new Redefining Security podcast here on ITSP Magazine. We have a great topic, one that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I can't nerd out on this topic enough. And I think there are so many ways to approach this problem and to deal with it. Um, it's always good to hear different perspectives, and especially when, when you, you're presented with an opportunity to see how other teams may have done something well. And uh, it seems we have that case here. We're talking third-party risk management, vendor management, uh, it goes by many names, and uh, we have two great guests with us today. We have Ebony Riley and Jesse Fasolo, and uh, they're from St. Joseph's here, just around the corner from me in uh, New Jersey. And uh, we're going to hear about their program, how they work together, how they bring the rest of the, the pro- their third-party risk management program to support business objectives, I presume. And uh, before we do that, though, I want to hear about them and their roles in their org and other things they do uh, that, that helps drive this conversation. So Ebony, first to you, what are you up to? Well, I am Ebony Riley, as you said, thank you so very much for the introduction. Uh, I am a Pattersonian myself. So while I do work as associate counsel for the hospital, I was born and raised in the great city of Patterson, uh, New Jersey. So uh, I happen to work for an institution that is in my city, and I, I, I take pride in that. Uh, as I said, in my role, I am associate counsel. So I am one of two attorneys for the entire system. And part of what we do on a day-to-day basis in uh, evaluating contracts is doing what I do with Jesse uh, and uh, uh, evaluating the risk associated with anything associated with software. Um, so as the individual that reviews each and every third party arrangement for the system, uh, what I do with Jesse is, is quite important. Uh, so we work very closely together. Yeah, resiliency is key, I'm sure, which I, I presume we'll touch on. Jesse. Thanks, Sean. Uh, as uh, uh, same thing Ebony had mentioned, uh, thank you for having us. And uh, as, as well as uh, to her story, I am also 
uh, someone that was born in Patterson, New Jersey and raised uh, for my childhood in Patterson, New Jersey and found myself back working for a healthcare system in the same city uh, that I had lived in when I was a child. So, um, you know, partly, uh, you know, putting myself into an organization that I have roots, uh, historical roots, and is very important. But uh, on the security uh, side, as well as what we do here, um, I'm overseeing all of uh, technology infrastructure and cybersecurity for the healthcare system. And uh, my role is um, obviously understanding and controlling the risk and security, uh, uh, information security uh, for the system, but also working and aligning myself and all of our processes with uh, risk compliance legal, um, and IT to ensure that third parties, uh, not just security and software, but also um, regulations are met, um, standards are achieved, um, and risk levels are uh, as low as they can be. Yeah, I love it. And it, I often say that the CISO role is one that uh, I don't know that I could do. <laughs> so, I, And certainly not legal. That's, uh, that's way over my head, which is why I'm thrilled to have both of you on to, to bring your combined story together. I think it would be worthwhile, if you don't mind, a, a quick picture of the system. And I don't know how much you can share in terms of hospitals and labs and, and kind of how how things work to that in the context of third-party vendors and, and where you need to pull in folks to kind of shore up systems and processes. So the hospital itself, um, we're, we're a system of uh, two acute care facilities, one rehab center, and about uh, 35 to 40 offsite locations that we have to service and maintain. Um, we have approximately 2,000 plus nurses, 1,000 providers, um, and about 5,600 employees that we uh, maintain. Um, as far as vendors and contracts, um, I'm going to leave that to Ebony to produce a number there. But um, we do deal with a large majority of contracts and agreements and uh, third parties as well as consultants and contractors and um, software as a service. And um, there's a multitude of engagements that we have. Um, in fact, our uh, Millennium um, uh, medical record system is hosted and we have a huge agreement with them and we have to ensure that that vendor is meeting our security expectations is just one example. But if you can think of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of application software and connections uh, between our organization and other organizations, that's all maintained, whether it be through contract um, or just general security and posture and ensuring that they meet our standards. So. Uh, that's the overall high-level 20,000-foot view of St. Joseph's um, and kind of all the interactions that we have. But um, it's a huge system. Um, you know, it's not just a single practice office. It's it's an enterprise system. Love it. Anything to add there, Ebony? Actually, yes. What I was trying to do was an idea of the breadth of uh, third-party uh, agreements that we deal with that really do have an impact in the nature that Jesse was just discussing. And while my computer will not operate with me right now, I can tell you I did have to do this about a week and a half ago. And I would say we have, if I were to talk about active third-party arrangements where there is some need for data, software, or a connection, um, it would be well in excess of 500 active agreements. If I were to give you a true number, it probably would be closer to a thousand. And these are active. So you wow. can imagine 
<laughs> it is, you know, quite extensive, you know, what we do here. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where to begin here? Cause the, I mean, just that number alone, um, how, so Jesse, in, in, in the lead up to this, uh, I think I read that you, you joined in 2014 and, and you took this on as an initiative that was near and dear to your heart and you, you changed it up. So what, what was the driver to say this was something that needed addressing and how did you start that process? Well, and I think it's an iterative process to, just to be honest here. Um, it's not something that was uh, instantly uh, achieved in 2014. Um, I, I think Ebony can agree that every day, every year, it's, it's always uh, iterative and, and changes to the process and additions and, um, through our assessments that we do uh, through third party as well as our own, we find things that can be improved. So to start in 2014, um, when I arrived, uh, there was pretty much no information security department. Uh, there was a, a HIPAA a privacy uh, officer and a HIPAA security um, uh, uh, individual that would just ensure that we were abiding by HIPAA. Um, but not documenting things, not really approaching it appropriately. And uh, from that point forward, uh, there was assessments done that looked at our policies that were lacking uh, significantly to, to um, I couldn't even uh, explain it, but uh, there was policies that were lacking in the institution that safeguarded our uh, general uh, security um, over data and uh, software use and uh, third parties. So from 2014 on, we kind of deployed and implemented policies and procedures and started there. Um, I think it wasn't until we started doing self-assessments and third-party assessments of our own security program where that um, started turning into uh, those iterative changes well, where they found gaps or uh, issues with our program. And then we went back each year taking their guidance and making those changes to our system. Um, part of that process is ensuring that not just information security is, you know, looking at the vendor and making sure they're okay, but actually doing deeper assessments, ensuring that they're compliant, ensuring that they're following a standard. Um, St. Joseph's itself, we follow NIST um, cybersecurity framework, and we also ensure that our third-party vendors are SOC compliant if they're hosting any data for us. Um, and we make sure that they have business associate agreements. So I think from 2014 till now, um, I can say now that we have a very good solid process and hopefully we get through that and explain that where we review these uh, organizations before they execute contract agreements with St. Joseph's and we know the security and we know the risks ahead of us. Um, back in 2014, 15, 16, we were identifying risk when it was already too late. Um, and a lot of organizations, institutions are still doing that um, and you see these third parties are being breached or targeted, and by, by then it's too late. You you've either don't have enough um, protection, you don't have a business associate agreement, um, you're, you're not meeting your standards as far as HIPAA, and you get in trouble. So um, we identified that early on and really um, focused on that. Uh, about 16 to 17, maybe 18, we really worked on partnership across interdisciplinaries ensuring that all the parties were at the table when we did a risk assessments or had a, a, an audit performed. And at that point, everyone's aware of what's going on. It's not a secret, you know, information security is not hidden away, you know, making their fair assessment of these vendors. It's, it's everyone's involved. 
And from there on forward, now we're looking at systems and software to automate the, the process that now is, you know, what once was um, manual, trying to automate it. So um, other people in the institution, as um, soon as they trigger, I want to acquire something or I want to talk to this vendor, that all the processes and procedures are done on the security and legal side. Yeah, and I'm wondering, um, the, uh, I'm just thinking of the, the maturity. So you, you mentioned assessments, and early on, I'm just wondering, were those true assessments or were they through the lens of compliance? So more like an audit. And I'm wondering if you've trans, transitioned into, I hate to use the word mature to, to suggest maybe you weren't mature, but transitioned from an audit to an, to an actual risk assessment. Because I've spoken to some folks where when they're looking at third-party vendors and, and specifically at the BAA, it's, a, it's around being compliant and everything in security is being compliant first and then, oh, yeah, we're actually worried about the security posture as well. Um, so was there a transition from audit to risk assessment? And, and if so, how did that change? Um, I'll take that. So as, a, as an institution, obviously, we need to make sure we're compliant, right? So there was um, certainly the minimums uh, uh, to ensure that we were compliant in 14, 15, 16. I think audit was there. I think compliance was there. I think um, the idea of information security being the very important uh, as far as a metric to ensure that risk levels are lower. Um, before executing things, I think came afterwards. Um, and that's also increasing, right? As information security risk is increasing outside of the, the healthcare system in the trends in the, in the market, um, we have to have even more increased focus on it. And I think that helped transition uh, us from, you know, a, a lower COVID model maturity to a much higher COVID model maturity just because of the focus of risk. I have to say, I, you know, I agree with that. Uh, and, and to piggyback a little bit off of that, you know, you do have situations that catapult you into having to address um, uh, issues within your system. And we had one or two of them. Uh, they all predated both Jesse and I joining the system, but I at least had the luxury of joining the system after unfortunately a situation occurred. And it was a situation where you know, uh, no one thought of getting an assessment done before some extensive software was purchased to make sure a device would work on our network. And little did we know uh, that the device did not at all, the software did not interface with our network at all. And now you've signed this agreement, you know, to purchase this equipment and purchase the software, and it doesn't interface at all with what, you know, your, your system is accustomed to. So I joined St. Joseph's with that having already had occurred. Uh, so my scope now, you know, in review, once I review these agreements are, what are the components? Has there been a security assessment done even before it gets to me? And if it has not been done, it is a hard stop in the system where it is supposed to be done before it gets to me, but if not, and I realize that there is some data or software component, even if I don't understand the nature of it, the minute I see software data, I immediately route to Jesse and his team before I even proceed. That way, in the event something does not interface with our system or there are significant security concerns, they are addressed well in advance of our buying, of, 
us binding ourselves to an obligation. And I think that's where that transition from audit to risk assessment occurred. And uh, I, I have to echo the sentiments that Jesse iterated when he first began, which is this is an ongoing process. Um, we cannot you know, just say, this is what our process is and this is how we handle it because the threats are ever changing the focus of the threats are ever changing and we have to be able to, you know, to, to match those, those changing times. And I'm wondering, uh, I mean, 500 is no small number to deal with. And if at some point you have up to a thousand, that, that that's overwhelming, <laughs> even just from a number perspective, I'm not, I'm not even doing the work. Um, how I know early on, uh, BAAs were kind of the driver to, to at least set some, level of expectation of we expect you to do this. And then over time, we've extended that to we expect you to do that by proving you have X, Y, and Z, or high trust or a SOC or whatever it may be. And and that's done once a year, once every two years, as they're onboarded, as they're renewed, whatever it is. But as we know, risk is a living, breathing thing. So I'm assuming you're working toward a living, breathing model how how have you taken that journey thus far? Where where you where do you sit on that uh, that journey in terms of progress? Um, I, I could jump in there as far as the uh, assessment components. Um, so as as we go through, like you mentioned, we go through contract agreements, um, and not to step back too far, but during the contract uh, component or even capital request, uh, information technology actually has to assess those contracts to make sure that they they agree to those from an IT perspective uh, to safeguard what Ebony had mentioned before and in addition to security reviewing it. Um, but from there, um, if, uh, and this is kind of new and recent based on what the events are, uh, organizations that are third party that um, do pass the assessment um, and they are on schedule to be reassessed or monitored con continuously because we have software that does that for some of our larger partners based on data, based on risk. So we have an active, ongoing, all the time monitor of their institution and their, their posture. In addition, um, we have institutions, um, and I'm not gonna name them, but healthcare has partners that have been breached or have had issues in the past couple of years. Those institutions or organizations are reassessed at the point of target. So when they are breached, they are assessed. And then they're, uh, they respond to us with what happened and we document those incidents and document it down. And then we reassess them six to 12 months later to ensure that everything is corrected. And then that risk assessment is then shared with executives in our institution. That, that will qualify if that organization is worthwhile staying with or that we have to move on or if they breached contract and that's when legal comes into play. Um, but that that ongoing assessment or reassessment is something organizations need to do because, um, again, you don't know what you don't know. To your point, you sign a BAA, you hope that the organization that you're dealing with is doing their job. Um, and that's why uh, software systems that are out there that now allow you to monitor and do tracking of these organizations, for example, our EHR vendor, I get alerts on their posture if they decrease by any percentage or increase. And then I can see what's going on in their institution. Um, and I track that as a metric annual, and I make sure that they're meeting their performance levels. Um, and that's what organizations need to do. Now, 500, 
uh, is a big number. Um, and I, I, it's, it's pretty funny that, you know, that's shocking, but what's more shocking is institutions that don't know that they really have 500 uh, organizations that partner with them that have access to software or data um, or have integrations or direct connections or have contractors on site that have eyes on uh, a PHI or PII. Um, so that number is not, you know, inflated for us because we're more aware because we've been through this process and Ebony's shaking her head, yes. Um, and it's it's a very long and lengthy process to identify what you truly have in your system and what you are really connected to. Um, but yeah, back to really assessing and then reassessing and holding them accountable, um, putting high trust into your BAA as, as required uh, a couple of years ago and enforcing, right? If, if you find something that is higher risk, asking them or forcing them to fix it before you agree to contract um, signage. Yeah, it's a huge lever. And, and Ebony, I'd like your, your thoughts on this because it, it's good as a lever, but only if everybody knows what they're agreeing to and, and, and uphold it over, over time. So the, the question I'm leading to is kind of the agreement language. And we're, this is where it's always interesting because I see so many parallels between legal and, and security information security from a risk perspective, but language is still very different, right? Legalese is different from CISOese. So how do you work together to kind of translate this is what the business is trying to generate in terms of growth and revenue and whatnot. This is how I'm doing my job to protect that growth. And I'm going to work with Jesse and his team to help identify weaknesses that would prevent me from, from achieving that growth. How, how do you get, sounds great as I said it, but how do you get that language to a point where you understand it, the vendors understand it, Jesse gets it, executive leadership team get it, and you're all on the same page? It's twofold, at least in, in my position. One, at St. Joseph's, we have standardized the process uh, to a point where a document cannot get to me if it is software or data related where IT is not involved. And if IT is in, in Jesse and security, you know, or whatnot, and, and if I find that there are some concerns and I can't really tell, I am the hard stop. And I will say, hey, I'm not sure. Uh, have you seen this? Have you not seen this? And for the most part, we've, we've, we've done, a, a, I would say, a much better job with making sure they are part of the negotiation process and the review process before the documents get drafted. So that by the time they come to me, the security requirements, the, the requirements that we're looking for with regard to data are, have already been fleshed out. I take it a bit further. Um, so we, we do have that. Uh, we also do have what we promulgate as our internal requested and desired standard contract terms that handle everything from what your desired contract terms are to what your desired IT security terms are. So we give this to our directors and our managers who are responsible for negotiating agreements as they are negotiating agreements so they know what we are looking for before we even enter into contracts and receive the agreements to review. So having that ahead of time in the negotiation stage, I, I believe helps. Then having IT part of the process before it even gets to us uh, for review helps. But the last leg of it all and the last catch-all I would say is when in doubt, I always ask and I will flip documents that I am actively reviewing 
to Jesse and his team and say, hey, can we work together on coming up with language that we feel will protect us a bit more, you know, uh, versus what we have here. And his team will actively work with me to develop the language. Because I don't have the subject matter expertise like his team does, I have to rely, you know, on his team in that respect. And I'm not afraid to ask, and they are not afraid to offer it. They are not afraid to tell me this will not work. Uh, and these are the reasons why this needs to be stricken. This is not industry standard. They will tell me. And I make sure I keep the lines of communication open. That is the only way I can accomplish it. And Jesse, I often, and uh, I said I was I recorded a podcast earlier looking at standards and frameworks, funny enough. And uh, the conversation is around the security team kind of forcing standards on this is how you will do something. And I, I kind of feel that that legal has that same kind of leverage, <laughs> that, that position to say, I'm not going to let you hurt yourself here. Um, but there's another way to look at that. And I wonder if, if this is in, in how you look at things. Line of business owner says, we need to stand up this new marketing thing, or we need to send, stand up this new uh, customer portal. We're going to use this partner to, to make that happen. Do you, do you have a chance to get involved in those conversations before the software's clearly purchased, but it's easy to spin up a cloud service, right? As a trial without any, without any contracts hitting your desk yet, Ebony. So are you involved in any of those strategy planning, budgeting discussions where you can kind of say, we want to help you achieve the objective. Uh, let us help find the right path for the software that you want to use so that then we can have even a better hand uh, standing when we go to negotiation time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in the agreement process that, that Ebony was mentioning where the managers or directors have engagement, have a direct connection, say what you were mentioning, some kind of SaaS software that they want to try or use, um, they typically do bring in IT. One, uh, for one, they want support um, they want it to make sure their software is going to work. Um, we do um, protect our environment to the point where we don't allow softwares to be installed unless it's actually allowed. Um, so we have a, a true list of what's installed, what's not installed, what can be accessed, what cannot be accessed. Um, so one, they, they I think over the past couple of years, they've realized that they can't just spin up something. Um, secondary, if they want support and ongoing support, we usually identify someone in IT, whether it be financial um, uh, or clinical or ancillary ambulatory or uh, technology infrastructure that supports that specific or that would in the future support it. They're brought to the table and um, during that agreement or conversation, before even pricing is thrown out, there's a technical call that information security and other IT members are on and we're going through um, just how the software or solution is going to be deployed in our environment. And that's where vetting, initial vetting happens, right? How do you do, uh, how do you connect to us? How is it secure? What are your, um, uh, what are your procedures on uh, breach? What are your procedures on uh, incidents? How, um, what's the SLAs? We discuss that there. Expectations from those conversations are then baked into the contract. Um, and then review happens. If those are not in there, that's when those levers uh, can be used, right? We discussed this. You executed this um, based on our conversation. Um, and we capture all that. 
And I think it's been working quite well for the IT and information security. I think institutionally as well, but um, I can say every now and then there is someone that comes into the institution with a different, um, I would say, foreign culture where in previous institutions, hey, they just used your credit card and they just went wild, right? And they added their own and they it works and uh, you find out later. And uh, again, you have to go through the same process. Let's go back through it. Let's go through an agreement. Let's make sure BAA is done. We make sure there's assessment done. Um, and I think once you go through that enough times and you cover enough of the institution managers and leaders that know the process and are, that are familiar with the process. And again, communication is key here, right? The more management and uh, all multiple levels of management understand the process when they have to go buy something, acquire something. Um, and uh, one, one good thing to note here is we don't have a multitude of signage uh, authority for signing in the institution. It's a one-stop shop. So if you want capital or if you want it on your budget to pay for it, there's one person in the institution that can sign and allow you to buy that product. That's it, right? So if you can't go through all the process and procedure before that, you will not be able to pay for it. Hence, you will not be able to buy that product. So I, I think there's multiple levels here that I just went through, but uh, combining all them together, it's really how we get ahead of those. So Talk to me a bit about the, so that that's selecting new and onboarding, and then there's the ongoing, yeah, basically assessing the vendors every year. And I don't know, if, are you, you mentioned Hydrus, and I don't know if you're using their, their system or not, but I know managing 500 vendors in spreadsheet distribution responses analysis and <laughs> on your end it might be too much how, how are you how are you doing that for 500 uh, are you leveraging technologies and automation to in lieu of uh, a questionnaire in, in an xls so initially uh, back the 2014 15 16 it was a it was a rough time where information security was sending out an Excel spreadsheet with questions and working over email and phone call to go through 400 questions. Um, we've matured since then. And now um, we also partnered with a third party uh, organization and security specialist firm that does third party assessments with us. So as we go through, we identify um, security contact. Uh, we, traverse that, we let them know that our firm, uh, our partner firm is gonna connect with them and it's all automated through a web interface. Everything can get uploaded, exports get sent to us. Um, we get quarterly reviews and risk assessments that combine all previous assessments together to give us a metric that we monitor and maintain. So across all of our vendors that we've gone through the process, we have a dashboard that we can see our risk based on our third parties. Um, and that's the only way. I think if if an organization with 100 or 500, doesn't matter if you're still using Excel spreadsheets and using a questionnaire over email, um, you really need to focus on upgrading that. Um, I, I think that's, that's the broken link. Um, with a lot of third-party assessments or security assessments, the teams just don't have enough bandwidth to maintain ongoing operations and do the monumental task of third-party assessing. So... Um, that third party partner that we use, I think really helped us go from, you know, um, doing a process to really maturing that process. 
And I think a major part of the process is the buy-in from senior leadership and the communication. Because when it is time to perform this assessment, which is annual, um, uh, it, it is not optional. Uh, it has to be done. And the only way we can have a fruitful assessment is if folks understand that you have to participate in the assessment. Um, uh, so they, they being the IT department starts very early with letting us know, okay, the assessment is coming. This is the time frame, you know, that we're looking at. Uh, and this is, these are, you know, monetary emails because we are going to start scheduling our interviews, you know, or whatnot. When that comes out, I already know this has to be done. And it doesn't take a member of Jesse's team or Jesse himself or even Jesse's VP to say, hey, you didn't, I know. As soon as I see it, it's the assessment. I have to make it a priority. And and for years, I've known this. Um, and it's ingrained, at least in my mind, and I feel like it's ingrained in the culture, you know, at St. Joseph's. Folks really do take it seriously. I want to quickly touch on that before we, uh, before we start to wrap with some tips and, and, and advice for folks because you both mentioned you're born you grew up there you work there you have a connection to the community you have a connection to the system uh i, I suspect that brings an even greater level of of passion and, and desire to do the right thing um, not that anybody else would would uh, jeopardize that anyway but i guess my point is the culture of what really matters here is the patient care right so what, what I want to maybe touch on quickly is your view of the patient in all of this. Um, how often does that cross your mind? Well, this, this isn't just a, a system might get popped and data might get lost. This is potentially uh, something bigger. Um, Ebony, you first, maybe yeah. thoughts. How, how, often does it, how, how often and how does that come across? It is in the forefront of my mind because I am, as a person that's from the community who for the most part, my entire family is still serviced, you know, through, you know, the community and the doctors that are associated with St. Joseph's. I know what our demographics, uh, you know, correlate to what we have access to, what we don't have access to. And I feel that one of the greatest things about St. Joseph's is its ability to truly live its mission. Our mission is not just our mission. We live it uh, and we breathe it and it comes out in the, the lengths that we go through to do what we do. And it's no secret, we are a 501c3 you know, entity that serves you know, as a safety net, safety net institution. So uh, you know, our resources are way more limited than other institutions that are part of larger systems, but we still get the job done. And it's because of our mission. I believe. So the first thing I think about in my mind is no patient should have to deal with what some of these risks could entail. They're not even going to understand it. It's not their job to. They're here to get care and, you know, to, to make it through and get home. You don't want to have a data issue amid all of that and having to try to address that. So anything that we can do to mitigate that um, is, is very important to me. And Jesse, I'm sure to Jesse, you know, as well. Absolutely. Um, just to add to, to Ebony's comments there, yeah, the, our mission is is really um, within all of us, and it's it's cultural. Uh, you can see it across all of our um, employees and, and doctors and physicians and clinicians and senior leadership. Um, but uh, I think it, it's not just about 
risk of breach. It's, it's really risk of patient safety. Patient, um, patients are certainly at the forefront. Um, also reputational, right? We do support um, a large percentage of uh, underserved in our community, and we want to make sure that they're um, safe and protected, and they want to um, trust us, and we do everything we can um, and uh, whether it be just contract or uh, risk assessing or ensuring that our vendors or partnerships are safe to, uh, you know, uh, connect with or acquire. Um, but in the end, it's really so, to ensure that the patient coming to us in our community is safe, um, is protected, not just their data, but them. Uh, because from an IT perspective um, and an IS perspective, if something goes wrong, it's not just a nominal value. It's not just data. It's actually people. Um, so I, it, I came from finance um, and other industries into healthcare, and it took about a year and a half before that clicked, um, where you don't look at you know the bottom line and a number, and you're acquiring a contract, and you have to hold them to the agreement. It's really that you have to make sure that they're going to abide the service that's going to protect your customers. Yeah, it's interesting that that transition you just described there too. I think uh, it's easy to get, especially if uh, we have our own nerdiness, right? Either it's tech technical or, or legal. <laughs> we think certain ways and it, it can sometimes be difficult to break out of what we do on a daily basis with technology and with with contracts and, and remember that there is a patient there. So I'm thrilled to hear that, that you both have that view and, and drive that culture. Uh, I know you wanted to, Jesse, and, and the stuff we were working on in preparation for this, kind of share some tips for folks uh, to help them perhaps make a change for the better in their own program. And I'd, uh, I'd like to hear from Ebony as well uh, for fellow uh, associate counsel. So, Jesse, you first. Um, anything of note that you want folks to take away as they, as they wrap up listening to us today? Absolutely. Um, I, obviously, you know, we just talked about spreadsheets and questionnaires and managing that internally. Um, there's just too much going on. There's too much out there to, to sometimes handle that unless you have a very large team. Um, you know, maybe look at uh, a third party partnership with a company to do and facilitate those third party assessments for you. Uh, just because if, if you're going to lack on the ability to do them or focus on them or uh, you know, ensure that they're done to the best that they the, the best that they can be. Um, you're risking the organization. So obviously, partner with a good company on that. Um, uh, obviously, find standards that work. Um, and you had mentioned earlier pushing standards down on everyone. Um, don't be information security as uh, the end all be all um, because it can't be. There has to be uh, a, a give. At certain areas, um, uh, healthcare is very, and especially us, uh, we're susceptible, right? Healthcare has legacy software tied to legacy environments or hardware that's millions of dollars of money uh, to replace. And you have to ensure safety and security around them. You have to really understand that sometimes the security standards don't apply to everything and you have to manage around them. So um, the third uh tip I would say is partnership across these departments, right? Legal information security is paramount, but also risk compliance and executive leadership. If you have executive leadership on board with risk, elevated risk or uh, escalating risk or security 
uh, concerns, whether it be threats or vulnerabilities, um, they will be on your side. Um, whether it be capital funding, whether it be opportunities in the future, but making them abreast of what's going on in your realm, whether it be contracts, whether it be changes to the agreement or the process to ensure safety or security, or whether it just be someone in information technology ensuring that things are following, say, for example, NIST, or um, that you're doing self-assessments um, to ensure that you're always increasing your posture and increasing your relationships with these departments and getting them involved. Ebony mentioned this earlier where when we do our uh, own internal assessments and we bring in a third party to help us, we bring everyone involved. There's 60 people in a room or past couple years virtually going through um, your assessment, right? Where are your bad points and where are your good points and let's work on them um, as a group, as a team. And that really gets into the culture. So those are the big areas that I would focus on. Fantastic. Thanks. Ebony. And just to piggyback off that, the only thing that I would add is, you know, Jesse mentioned, you know, finding standards that work. I think what comes with that is standardizing the process. So those standards that you come up with that works for your organization can be applied across the board. Uh, the more one-offs you have, we do understand that there are instances where certain standards are not going to apply for whatever service is being provided. But for the most part, because we are the entity that is seeking, you know, the help or the assistance or the, the service of the vendor, you know, uh, we, we are seeking that from several other and several hundred other vendors. So the only way you really can keep a hold of that is if you really do standardize your process to meet your standards. So if you don't have the ability to have a third party that can at least assist you in actively reviewing you know, potential threats and actively evaluating risk, what you could do is just come up with your term sheet of what your minimum system requirements are, what you're looking for, uh, when you are going to have either access to data or data exchanged. And once you get that you know, in a format where you can get it out to your leaders, your directors, your managers, now you have something that they can always refer to and use as they are negotiating. And it makes it a bit easier for your team in implementing because contract A and vendor A should technically be adhering to the same requirements as contract and vendor X and Z, you know. Up and down the chain. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you both for taking the time to kind of walk through your program and and uh, how, I mean, it's, it's great to see the maturity and, and clearly you two work extremely well together and I can just see how, how you come together to kind of rally the rest of the organization around doing the right thing around third-party risk management and uh, I love these kind of stories. So I <laughs> appreciate it. I, I'm just so grateful to have someone to help me understand it. <laughs> because I will tell you about five years ago, I really didn't. Uh, but now, you know, there are things that in working so closely with, with Jesse and the team that, you know, before I even get it to him, I'm like, hey, this is an issue. Hey, you know, they're hosted across seas. We got to think about X, Y, and Z now, you know, um, which I can only do because of the lines of communication that, uh, you know, Jesse and his team, you know, have established and just being communicative. They don't ignore, you know, they, they truly, it really is a collaborative effort. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for uh, 
for taking the time today. Uh, for those listening, uh, there'll be links to uh, to notes that, well, show notes that might include links. I don't know if Jesse and Nebony want to share anything uh, that might help folks make make some steps and make some headway in their own third-party program management, um, risk management program. But uh, look in the notes. If they're there, they're great. And again, Ebony, Jesse, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stay well. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.NET. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.